Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Wonderful, happy, good, good to see you all together on this shiny, bright, sunny day. Um, so if you want to stand up, we'll pray. We'll praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you. Uh, we're grateful for you, for your love, for what you mean to us, for this church that you've built, for what it means to all of us and how you brought us together. Uh, so this morning, as we sing these songs to you, out of grateful hearts as we hear your word, out of desire to grow, I just pray that that happens in all of us, uh, that it's just a good morning for you and your kingdom, uh, for growth to happen here, Lord. So we love you, we praise you, and we're here for you. Take it 
Thanks for all you have done, 
Let's go ahead and have a seat, everyone. I think before he runs off, I'd, I'd like to just call a couple of people up here. One of them is uh, Brian Christensen, and uh, the other one's Jason Austin. I, I need both you guys up here uh, because I want to. I want to tell you what these guys have in common. Okay, um, Jason. I, Jason's like, what? What are you doing? Um, so what worked with these guys a uh, long time. You. Uh, on staff since uh, 2011, I think, and Jason's been here the whole time uh, as a good friend and a co-worker in the Lord, uh, but I uh, just wanted to tell you, they have something in common. Jason turned 50, was 50, right? Yeah, 50. Don't know if you knew Jason turned 50 or not, uh, just about uh, three weeks ago, I think, and then Brian, I think you turned, what, uh, 34 tomorrow, so, okay, so when I met Jason, you were, is this 18 years ago, so carry my five plus two, <laughs> round it off to 32, or you're 32, so about the same age. So whenever, so when you turn 50, here's your poster child right here. <laughs> if you, if you want to, if you want to make it 50 like that, you want to be like Jason, Kind of like be like Mike, only want to be like Jason, okay? So I, I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate these two guys since it is, you know, kind of their birthday-ish. And so I thought I'd get them a gift um, for, uh, for Jason. Uh, I wanted to give you these pliers because I'm like, how do you give the guy a gift who has everything? And what I gave him is these superpower pliers because these aren't just cheap ones. They're Nipex. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that means Jason is now at the place in life where he's like delegating and voling told and voling telling people. And if there's a job to do and he brings his, puts those pliers in his pocket and somebody says, hey, we've got to do this. He pulls those pliers out and he says, yeah, these probably aren't, aren't the kind that you need for that. So you're going to have to do this job. But... Because they're Nipex, if Jason has to do it, those are superpower pliers. And he's going to show them how it's done. Um, Brian, on the other hand, repairs a lot of, well, you crawl around a lot of uh, sinks, don't you? And I can tell you from personal experience, there's nothing like a good pair of, well, for lack of a better way of saying it, how you unscrew the drain pipe wrenches, aka monkey wrenches, because you got to contort like a monkey to get those uh, drain pipes taken apart. You carry those in your pocket. Somebody at Harmony says, "Hey Brian, my drain's unst- my drain needs unstuck." You can be like, "Call Jason." Call Jason. 
Wow, wow, you're really ahead of the game here, aren't you? Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate these guys and uh, also let you know that Jason is leading a men's Bible study. We just kind of had the introductory uh, last Thursday uh, down in the fellowship hall, So, if you, or Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. So if you guys want to want to join us in this it's not guys, it's guys only because, well, it's a men's study. I don't think women are interested. You guys got your own thing anyway. They have their own thing. So Jason's leading that, and he's doing a killer job with it. And uh, so if, you, if you're not a part of that and you want to be a part of that, it's on Wednesdays for the next five weeks. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, so with that said, I'm not going to sing happy birthday we're going to sing happy birthday, all right? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's go. Somebody help lead it off. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jason and Brian. Happy birthday to you. All right. You're welcome. Happy birthday. All right. Appreciate you guys. Okay. So there you go. If you guys need something repaired that you think one of those instruments will take care of, there's your go-to people. So um, just happy to take a minute and just celebrate uh, not only birthdays, but how People are, are getting engaged, and people have been engaged for a long time because there's so much camaraderie and joy and just a sense of purpose and calling. Uh, when you find that path, as you, as you are part of the body here, that you can work alongside other people with or grow along, uh, alongside other people with, that uh, just creates a, a kind of connection that I think by design is what we're supposed to be together. So in your own way, you have your own people, you can celebrate, I think, uh, their lives along the way in like manner. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things about what we've gone through in the last three years that have been a struggle. Let's just take some time and celebrate the things that are good, that are right in front of us. Uh, Because there are a lot of different blessings in the course of a day. But God says, hey, what about this? And what about this person? And what about that? And uh, I want to I underscore that as we look at the life of Jesus and see how his life radiates back into our own and helps us in whatever it is that we brought into this room to overcome and even work together for good in the mess. Um, and with that said, we, we want to start all of those things that we struggle with with uh, a petition before the, lo- the Lord in prayer. Because uh, as we just sang, when we take this stuff before the Lord, I am convinced his answer is always yes, wait, wait for it, or I got a better idea. And that's just how he works. So don't be disappointed when you feel like your prayer's not being answered the way you think it should be. He is answering it. And so we began our worship gathering with prayer, and then we have a, a season of petitionary prayer where we lift up one another, and um, we take that home with us, and we keep one another lifted up with our concerns. So if, if you have any that you want to share this morning, 
uh, please uh, uh, let us help you with that burden and, and keep that lifted up. One, one of the people that I want to mention is I spoke with um, uh, Melissa Costa and um, Wilma Moffat last night. Uh, Gary had 30 um, kidney stones taken out, and he's in pretty rough shape right now. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's so serious that right now they're, they're not sure if he, how, much, uh, how much time is left on the clock. So um, he's, he's been struggling for a long time, and uh, this is one of those things that we hope it doesn't cascade into something, you know, where the Lord is calling him home, but they said it, he may. Uh, so they, they, they really want our church to be praying for, for Gary. So just keep him lifted up, ask the Lord to do his will, and help he and Wilma through this time. Anybody else? I know we've had some people that have had different things happening, uh, surgeries and, and things of that nature. Uh, anybody have anything on your heart today that you just want to uh, declare praise for or say, hey, pastor, can you guys be praying for this? And we'd love to. You guys got anything on your heart or your mind you brought in here today? It's a burden. Everybody's good? Everybody's just quiet. Well, let's go ahead and just go before the Lord, shall we? Lord Jesus, we know that you are in this room with us. And Father, I know as a pastor, just in my conversations with our people, in any given week, there are burdens that we carry that are difficult to share with other people that we don't know that well, or we don't know if they have our greatest concern in mind and our best interest. And Father, I just pray that as we grow to become a people that are rooted and grounded in you, that each of us can be a safe space where what others share with us, we know we can not only keep confidence, but we can give assurance that uh, we are in your corner to help you. And we thank you, Father, that in that struggle, we take so much relief from knowing that we're not alone or that we can confess things or that we can share things with others and know that it's not going to take on a life of its own in the form of gossip. So help us, Lord, to be those people that are trustworthy, that are discreet, that are, are truly loving and in our own way showing uh, your heart to those that you place in front of us. So in that right, Lord, I know you make us all pastors in some way or shape or form. And I know, Father, that you use us as a body to minister one to another. May that continually be our posture. And even as we think about that, I also just want to lift up um, Gary and Wilma and pray that you give them strength for whatever it is that's on the road ahead. And if if this is a season where you're preparing him to come home, just give everyone that peace and that sense that, um, that, uh, that that's, that's your purpose in this moment. And I pray, Father, for others that are just going through their own trial. I, I pray that you would be with, um, be with Liz Elias and continue to strengthen her in this healing journey, as well as Wayne Lulai. And uh, we pray for Wendell Goddard as well. I pray, Father, for Ed Sheen as he recovers from his shoulder surgery. I just ask, Father, that you would be with um, 
just the, uh, the, the, the numerous people these past um, several weeks who've been in, in and out of the hospital for various needs and concerns. And just thank you as we prayed for them. We've just seen you show yourself, and we thank you for that journey towards healing that uh, is centered on the great healer, our Lord Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we lift these physical and, and perhaps emotional and spiritual burdens before you, and we pray that you would be that person that gives us the best place to, to work through these so that we can know not only your strength and your healing, reconciliation, but that thing that we never would even imagine that could happen when we invite you in. And Father, I thank you for being with our church and all of the things that we've had happening lately. It's been a joy to see uh, your people engaged, your people growing in their connection with one another. Thank you for the men's group that is just getting off the ground, and we pray that it would be a, a wellspring of connectedness for the men in this church. Thank you, Father, for the ladies' tea that's happening this afternoon. We just ask that you would bless it as uh, those who gather find camaraderie and they find that sense of who I am as I am called to be uh, God's daughter and the, the joy of knowing your deep and profound love and your, the worth that you ascribe to us and the way that you celebrate our lives, Lord. We can't even imagine because you are love at the very center of your being, what, what, what that does to people when they discover the posture that you have towards us. And, you know, we feel so unworthy. We feel shame, Lord. We feel guilt. We feel disconnected. And yet, because of Jesus, we are so grateful that we can reconnect with you and rediscover who it is that we are. And we can put aside all the lies that tell us who we aren't. So thank you, Lord, for restoring your people and their hearts and their minds. Thank you, Father, for restoring relationships and putting them in a place where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness flow. Thank you, Father, for helping those that we have petitioned on their behalf, and we continue to do so, that you are showing signs of your presence in ways that encourage and heal. And so, Father, as we just celebrate the things that are good, the things that bring joy, the things that make us happy, we know they are all sourced in you. And I pray that if there's anyone in the room who is going through a time of deep trial or doubt or discouragement, that you would give them a new season where they can discover a pathway of joy in spite of all of that. And so, Lord, we are here to receive from you those things that are worthy for the moment. And we're here to give you back to, to your throne the glory and the praise that you so richly deserve. As we do that, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer with the intent that's not ritualistic in a meaningless way, but is rhythmic in a way that reinforces. So please pray with me now. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we are looking at John chapter 5. So one of the things that um, we do or we've been doing as a practice these last few years is uh, we're taking different books of the Bible and we're just going through them and asking the question, what does this say? And then what is God saying to us through this? And what's so cool about it is as we go through it, God has something timely to say to the experiences that each of us are having. And the way I know that is people come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, you feel like, I feel like you've been preaching to me. And the reality is God's just been preaching to us as we've listened to the text and we've heard his voice. And he said, and this is how I'm going to make it meaningful for you. And I hope every time that I'm able to uh, uh, come together with you around God's word, we are able to receive it and hear it in a way that um, gives us a fresh, uh, uh, just a fresh connection and encouragement. Um, and as we, go, as we go through John, um, it's a little bit different way of telling the story. It's sort of not so much a, a linear sequence of history as it unfolded uh, one event following another event, but John is writing from a place where he's asking the question, um, I'm, I'm probably 90 years old as he's writing it, and the church has been up and running for, uh, some people would say, at least 50 years. And so a lot of things have happened that have caused people to ask questions that are, are fresh regarding what Jesus means after the destruction of Jerusalem, what Jesus means after the destruction of the temple, what Jesus means whenever churches that um, hadn't, haven't been established yet are starting to get off the ground because Christians are getting kicked out of the synagogue. Places like this where, you know, if there's, there's family. I mean, one reason, why, one reason why I don't gossip is because I could be talking to Rich and I'd be saying, hey, you know, you know this, this about um, Rob. And he's like, yeah, Rob's my cousin or Rob is married to uh, someone who's connected to our family in this way. And I've just decided you're all related. And uh, you know what they say, blood is thicker than water which means that don't mess with my kin. But there's something good about that too because there's that sense of not only we're here gathered to celebrate the Lord, but there is sort of a, even just a biological, hey, these are our people. And when John's writing, family members were kicking their own family out of the synagogue because they were, they were getting very serious about Jesus. And some people were teaching in the synagogue, Jesus is an imposter. Jesus is not the Son of God. And can you imagine the distress that created? Because some believed, and they discovered a deep and profound joy that Israel longed for. They discovered the, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And they discovered a hope that they never had before. And there were others over here who said, but we just don't do it like that. We don't believe that way. I wasn't taught to approach God that way. And that was the struggle that people had when John was writing this letter. He was trying to show them, hey, Jesus is the way, and these are the reasons why. And if you've ever looked at the life of Jesus, one thing we do know is that he never carried a weapon, he never used violence. 
The only thing that even remotely connected to a violent act was when he cleansed the temple. And some people would say, even when he did that, he just took, um, he took, he took some of the, um, uh, I, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, just some of the, some of the kind of the, the, the tall grass bundles, and he was shooing the animals away from the things that are sacred. And so you get this sense that Jesus is, he's truly a warrior, but he's doing it in a way that doesn't create physical violence. And if you take a close look at that, you ask the question, how is it that Jesus single-handedly changed the course of history? How is it that his boldness and his sense of mission and purpose and duty and conviction led to the kind of changes that occurred after he went to be with the Father and sit at the right side on the throne. Because you and I, we are living in the legacy of the effect of his time here on earth. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting stuff. And when he says, follow me, he's saying, in effect, I want you to have a kind of influence on the people around you that's lasting. And if there was ever a time where people needed positive, life-giving influences and influencers, we are in that moment. And when I look at the text that we're getting ready to explore, I see something here that I, I, I want us to take note of. And that, was, that, is, that is the response that Jesus had to the brokenness around him. And he, he didn't waste any time. He went directly to, the, to some of the key influencers, and he started to try to show them that he was called by God to do the things that he was called to do for the purpose of restoring not just your soul and mine and the souls of the people that he met, but all of creation. Everything that's broken, he wanted to put back into order. So let's just go to our text for a second. And let's see where that goes. So in John 5, verses 16 and following, we read, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And then um, we read a few more verses here. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what, what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So that you will be amazed for just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, as I'm going through that, you may be saying, what are you talking about? And the fact is, the setting tells us a lot about what this means. 
Because if you're here last week or you heard the message, you know that there was, a, there, was a, there was a pool that was set up outside of the temple complex by the Greeks. And I'll show a picture of this pool. It's called uh, the Pool of Bethesda. And it was a healing pool. I don't know if we can, if we can show that or not on, this, on the slides. But if you, if you kind of peek uh, through the slide or through that, uh, outside of the temple complex, the, uh, the, the Romans set up a place of healing. And it was called an Asclepium. I'm not going to tell you to say that with me. Just trust me. And that was based on the god Asclepius, the healing god of the Greeks. I don't know if I got a picture of Asclepius up there or not, but uh, the medical community actually takes their cue from Asclepius uh, and and, and Hippocrates as well. Uh, And if you've ever seen that symbol, you know that that's... um, decorating a lot of places that have healthcare written on them. And it's a, it's a symbol that is derived from the Greek mythology that centers around this person, Asclepius, who was, in the mind of many people, the god of healing. And if you were a non-Jew, that would be your go-to. He would be the god that you would, you would approach and you would say, what can I offer you in exchange for the healing that I need. And um, the, the response would be, you know, kind of a food offering or a money offering to a, a, a cast of priests or something that would be an act of devotion. So the Romans established this pool that was centered on Roman and Greek mythology right outside the temple. In their mind, it was like the Jews got their thing and we got our thing. And one of our key cities, Jerusalem, was going to have this, um, this, this, this healing pool, one of 400 that were throughout the Roman Empire. Now, what's so significant about this, not only is it close in proximity to the temple, the very fact that Jesus goes there, a, a, a self-respecting Jew would not go there unless they were just incredibly desperate. And in a sense, they would say, I'm trusting that God more than I'm trusting the God of the Old Testament. And the thought has been, well, you know what? Um, I do whatever I got to do. So if I'm, a, if I'm an African and I go to church, a lot of times if I've got troubles with my health, troubles with my love life, I go to the Sangoma. They're there to help me with the things that maybe church can't help me with. And in the Roman world, it was, if I got troubles with God, some people would say, I'll go to the temple and I'll give an offering. If I got troubles with my health, I'll go to the Greeks, get some help from that God. And a modern equivalent might be, hey, you know what? If I, if I want to worship God and get right with him, I'll go to church, and if I need to find out if I'm going to win the Powerball, well, I may just call a psychic, or I may look at the tarot cards, or I may do something that is sort of borderline kind of occultic, because maybe that will provide an answer. And the reality is, God is either God of all these things, or he's not. And Jesus wanted to make a declaration Some people would even go so far as to say that Asclepius had the power to raise people from the dead. And so all that baggage is sort of in the air as the religious um, leaders 
not only see Jesus go there, but they find that he heals somebody there. And then they're thinking in their mind, he associates with the Greek gods. And so we don't know who this sketchy character is who seems to be pretty smart about the Bible, but he's coloring outside of the lines when it comes to doing the, the things that we would say are, are within the boundaries of proper religious activity. And, you know, that can vary from church to church. My, my dad grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, and in his church they said, you don't go to movies, you don't do sports, and um, you don't chew tobacco. And there were a couple of others. And he's, he was of a mind that I don't understand why. Why? So he was just bitter because he couldn't go out for sports as a young man. And he ultimately rebelled because he really didn't know why the rules were there in the first place. And maybe you grew up in a church setting that had a bunch of rules that you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you needed to behave accordingly. And I, and I get that there are reasons behind rules, but sometimes the rules just keep going even though the meaning behind them is left in the dust of history. And Jesus is essentially saying, there are a lot of people out there who do not understand where I'm coming from. And these especially include the religious people. And so the only way that he could get their attention was to just go directly at them and say, hey, I'm coming from the Father. I and the Father are one. And that's provocative language for a Jew because the Jews said every day a, a prayer. And the prayer was, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one God. And that prayer says, basically, there is no God plus Jesus. But the scripture is very clear that even in the Old Testament, there's a sense of God in the three persons, the Father and the Spirit and the Son. And so it's a very unique sense of God's presence in those forms that I'm not going to go into today. Other than to say that if they read the scriptures properly, they would have been prepared to receive what he was saying. But like so many of us, we get comfortable with our way of viewing things, and we like things in a certain order. I do. And when that order gets disrupted, well, then your whole life just goes into chaos. Now, I can tell the 34-year-old and the 50-year-old that at 59, I have routines. I have rituals. I have things in a certain order. And it's the only way I can take a complicated life in 2023 and keep up. And if somebody takes one of those components out of my routine or my ritual, I'm lost. Anybody relate to that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you don't, you will. Trust me. Um, because if things are out of order, then you find that um, until you get that back in order, your life is not going to have all the default mechanisms you need to carry on. And these guys thought they had it in order, and then along comes Jesus. And Jesus means one word to them, 
chaos. Because he ain't doing it like they're doing it. But I just want to make that sort of personal because as Jesus comes into your life and my life, I can assure you he's going to disrupt things. He's going to rearrange the furniture of your habits, of your rhythms, of your routines, of your priorities. But I can also tell you, having lived through that disruption, I kind of like things better the way he made them than the way I had them before. And that takes one ingredient that is not evident in the people that are opposing him. And that is an openness to hear what God has to say in that moment about my life. And at any given day, at any given moment, God has a word for you and I. He's speaking to us. He's telling us, hey, don't do that, or you should do this, or it would be in the best interest of everybody in your world that if you do that, in so many different ways, at different levels, he's saying, I want to take the things in your life that are broken, that are disordered, that in your mind, at least it's the devil I know, and you're okay with it. He's saying, no, there's a better way. There is a better way. And I hope that as we go through John, you can discover that with me. And what he's trying to do here is to say, Hey, if you want to go to the temple, there's a better way. If you want to go to the healing Asclepium, there's a better way. But what is that way? And how is it that as we go through John, John maps that out? Well, if you read the book of John, there's a series of statements that he makes. And I would suggest you just read through it sometime. Um, in the not-too-distant future. And in your Bible, or whatever device you're reading on, circle the word, I am. And you will find that Jesus is saying, I am the, bread, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. And those are just a couple of clues of what that looks like. And what he's telling the religious leaders is, I am the Son of God. And they took a great amount of issue with that not so much because of the statement, but because of the, the disruption. And one of the things that they chose, do you know how whenever you're not happy with somebody, you're kind of spoiling for a fight with them? What's the first thing you do? You find that thing that they're doing that you can nail them on. You know, that thing that you know is not right, that you're going to just, you're going to pin their ears back and say, you remember that one thing. And you want to kind of start a fight. And that's any of us, when we get offended, when we get our nose out of joint, when we are, let's be honest, when we are hurt, the way that we retaliate is we, 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 we fight. But Jesus, when he fights, he's not fighting from a place of pain or hurt personally, he's fighting from a place that says what is happening isn't right for everyone. And that does, that does pain me. 
that does hurt. And coming from that place, he's found a kind of courage and a kind of boldness. And I'm not going to go through the rest of the scripture, but I just want to explore one theme with you guys today. And that is, in light of everything that you and I find sacred and important, and that is the best possible situation for ourselves, for our family, for the people that we love, what is the thing that makes all of that work? If not a conviction that you want to do your best for the well-being of those people, you want to do your best for the well-being of yourself, you want to make sure that when it comes to creating a community that's healthy as a pastor even, you want to do your best to put in place things that are life-giving. But how do you do that? Especially when the world is saying, not having it. Especially when religious people are saying, not having it. Where do you go? How do you respond? Well, here's Jesus. Let's just, let's just look at his life. There were endless needy crowds. There were cleverly laid traps to avoid and subtle temptations to resist. His disciples were slow learners and frequent on-the-job sleepers. He endured loneliness and profound internal distress He had little time to eat or rest, and eventually everyone, everyone deserted him and fled. Can we just say betrayal? And the culmination of everything that he would do meant that he would have a moment of separation from the one thing, or should I say the one person that meant the most to him, and that was the father. And his death... When that came, it would involve great suffering and public spectacle and humiliation of a crucifixion. Yet how did Jesus respond in all of that? Did he just say, like I remember a a famous um, congressman say, beam me up? Or did he say, I have a job to do here because this place is broken. And there is only one person that can bring about the kind of remedy in a wholesale sense that will have a lasting impact. That was him. And so he always responded courage, which is an interesting word because um, I guess it it didn't occur to me that um, um, in, in quoting um, Tim Keller, who recently uh, passed away from uh, a battle, a, a pretty long battle with cancer, which in my mind makes him probably the best to, to, to offer this quote. He said, despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and broken, speaking of Jesus, he is completely fearless before the corrupt and powerful. He has tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, unhesitating authority with a complete lack of self-absorption, holiness 
and unending convictions without any shortage of approachability. Power without insensitivity. Jason, I think that when we're talking to the men, if you were to define what a biblical Christian, Christ-following warrior looks like, that would be it. A person who is able to embody that kind of courage and do it under such stress that the outcome of their response is always the right outcome. And I'd be the first to tell you I failed at that numerous times because a lot of times my outcome is self-protective. It is how do I get back? How do I get even? How do I turn the attention away from myself to them? But what Jesus is calling you and I to do is ask the question, how is what you're doing in your response benefiting the people that you love the most? And we know John says, Jesus loved us all, for God so loved the world. And this isn't just a men thing. It is a human being thing. Because courage has to rest on some set of convictions that have very much to do with not yourself, which your col- our culture says it is all about you. Every marketer from the time I was born to the 59th year has always said it is all about you. Have it your way. Yet when I come to Scripture, I find that the only way it works is that it's all about us. And getting out of the way sometimes is just the hardest thing. But I also hope that I share this same sense of I believe in Jesus enough to say that what he said and the convictions that he rested his life on are worthy of not only my own attention, my own sense of conviction, but the willingness to live that out no matter the cost. And you may say, Pastor, that's a pretty tall order. But I can assure you that if you, if you engage that path, you will not regret it. And God will give you everything you need along the way. Because Jesus said that I can't do anything without the Father enabling. And my friends... If you think, well, I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to do the things that rest on convictions, not on my feelings, I can assure you, you can't do it by yourself. You need the presence of the Lord with you, enabling you to do it. Or it's just a test to see how strong your will actually is. And I'm a pretty strong-willed dude. But I can, I, I can also testify to the fact that If I try to do something out of willpower, it just doesn't go very far. But when Jesus says, what I do, I do dependently on the Father. And that is a profound difference. So whatever challenge you're facing in life right now, whatever thing that takes courage, if you're trying to do it on your own and you're not inviting the Lord into that thing, it's probably not going to work out. Or it may, but it won't be what it should be. But if you take that thing that, is, that your mind is fixated on, that is the thing of the moment, 
And you, with a sincere and genuine heart, say, Father, I need your help. Do this thing your way. And that's where strength comes from. I think it's kind of ironic that when you read at the end of the Bible how it all sort of comes out, you have this passage of Scripture in there that says, and these are the people that aren't going to be there. And Jesus alludes to it at the end of this uh, passage that um, is in John that we're, we're looking at this morning, the, the good, the ending for the good and the ending for the people that have said we're not going to follow God's way. At the end of the book of Revelation, it describes the characteristics, the characterizing feature that define the people that will not be part of the new creation. And you know what the first word is? Cowardice. I'm like, well, I've watched enough Westerns. I can probably learn not to be a coward. But it's not that. It's cowardice based on a conviction that you will do that thing that is the right thing no matter what the conditions or the people around you are saying that you should do otherwise. Courage is really, by definition, a way of resting on a conviction. Cowardice is a way of saying, I'm just going to do what the people around me want me to do, or I'm going to do what I feel like doing, or I'm going to do that thing that, well really has nothing to do with what I believe. And cowardice in that form is something that God says, that's not going to work here because the relationships that are on the new creation are founded on a set of convictions. And it's not just don't gossip because everybody's related to each other, but a deeper don't gossip because that's not life-giving. That doesn't build people up. That's not in anybody's best interest. I'm just picking one thing. But the question is, how does a believer respond to the things around us that are oppressive, that perhaps are saying very negative things about Christians, which appears to be happening right now? How do you respond to that? Respond with weapons physically? Do you respond with weapons of words, retaliatory? Or do you speak the truth in love out of deep conviction? See, Jesus, when he's confronting the religious leaders in, in, in John um, 17 to 47, he loves these guys. That's why he's being real and he's being honest. He's not beating around the bush. Because his goal is for them to capture that sense of what God is up to in him. They're just not having it. But he could just carry on like, you know what? You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and it's all good. And you and I could just carry on like, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and it's all good. But if we really love each other, and the reality is we have a difference of opinion, the goal here isn't to win. The goal here is for us to find out what each of us needs to deal with so that we can come together. And Jesus, as he's just taking all of that very relational substance, and he's making it known in his encounter with the religious leaders, the disciples are over there taking notes. 
Because what they don't realize is pretty soon it's going to be them doing what Jesus did. And I, I, I love how as you read the book of Acts, you just see the pattern of Jesus' life being imitated by his followers. His followers are responding like him. In Acts 10.38, Peter summarizes Jesus' ministry. He said he went about doing good and leading all uh, and, and, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And so he's connecting dots that are deeper than just religious leaders opposing. He's connecting dots to the influencers at a cosmic level that are helping us to not be in our right mind. And that's the devil himself. The original creator of chaos. And the only thing that can bring order out of the chaos is conviction. But I don't know about you, but my knees knock from time to time. Can't even imagine what it was like for Nathan the prophet to go to David and say, hey, I got to call you out on something, thinking about it the night before, dang it. I don't want to do that, Father. I don't want to have that conversation with the king that way. Or, um, or when Paul was saved, um, there was a, there was a follower of Jesus who had been persecuted by Paul, and his sense was, I don't want to go tell Paul that uh, you have a word for him from me. He's the guy that just killed some of our people. And there's this sense of, why would I want to do that? Risk my own life. And you read in the book of Acts this sense of courage in responding to the call or the circumstances that wasn't based on our own feelings, our own misgivings, our own self-preservational instincts. These were things that we did even though we didn't want to do, but after we did them, we discovered, I'm glad I did it. And God may be calling you to do something that takes courage, and you're saying, but this is going to hurt. And I can tell you, it may hurt for a moment, but God is up to something if it's working together for good according to his purpose. C.S. Lewis said, courage isn't simply one of, the, one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Meaning that when we're facing fear, feeling overwhelmed or stretched to the breaking point, we have a choice in our fight. With God's grace, we can choose courage and almost everyone needs courage in some area of their life. And perhaps that thing that you brought into this room is a thing that you need the Lord's courage for. Well, let's just end this with um, how we can get into that place of courage. I would say the first thing that you have to do is walk towards the light. By that, I mean the truth. The light has a way of shining on whatever it is that it's, that, it's, that, 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 that it's casting its radiance on and showing something for what it is, showing someone for what it is, showing you and I for who we are. That thing about us that's hiding in the shadows, the light shines on that and it becomes clear that thing is a thing that needs to be dealt with. 
And so when you walk towards a thing that needs to be dealt with in your life and in mine, it's a way of saying the light's shined on that, and I really wanted to hide it, Lord. But because of your grace, your forgiveness, your acceptance through Jesus, I don't have to because in you I can find the path that I need to deal with that thing. And that thing is probably something that God is saying, I want you to name that, I want you to call that up, and I want you to deal with that. Because if you don't deal with it now, something, this story is just going to keep going in a circle until you do. And so the light is tricky business, isn't it? I mean, I remember when my mom got her cataracts removed, and she said it was painful. Not the cataracts, but all the cobwebs in her house, all the dirt on the wall, how dirty the carpets were. She said, I about fell over. I didn't realize this is how I was living. And I told her, I said, I'm never getting my cataracts taken out. So there is something about walking towards the light that exposes the thing that's not right. And I'll tell you this. The thing that is not right isn't just affecting you. It always has a social component. And then everybody's affected. And that's why Jesus spoke the truth in love so much. Spoke the truth how? How did he do it? In love. Can you say that with me? Just because that's how we do it, right? Because I could, I could call everybody out and do it in a way of militancy or might makes right. Or I could ask God, Lord, help me to speak the truth in love. And that's probably, as a pastor, one of my hardest prayers because I know people get mad. So I want to say it in the best way possible. And the courage also only works when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because the only way I can say this is, do you ever ask your children, or do you remember as a child doing something that you're like, I'm not sure I want to do this? You know, dad say jump in the pool, or jump, you know, off of something higher up and I'll catch you, or ride that bike, or do that thing that you've never done before, but you are just scared to death. And so you're looking at the thing, you're looking at your dad or your mom, you're looking at the thing, you're looking at them, and they're just over there saying, and when you fix your eyes on Jesus, and you have that thing that is the adult version of riding that bike, the adult version of jumping into the arms of your father, that thing that you're like, I just don't have the courage to do that. When you look at Jesus and he says, it's his way of saying, I will help you. I'll be here for you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. And then the last thing is, one of the best ways that Jesus loves us is through us through each other, through the community of people. The fact is, the scripture is very clear. We are to embody the presence of Jesus. You walk out of this church and somebody who's never been to church is saying, what is going on there? And you say to them, well, my friend, we're, we're worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping the Lord. And immediately, just human nature being what it is, you know what they're going to think? Well, however I see you behaving is going to be a reflection of the guy that you're worshiping in. 
There's just no question. Any organization has its own kind of identity in that way. And so when people see you, they see him. And when we do that together, where people see him in us routinely, habitually, rhythmically, those are not only good habits, but those are the things that just make God come alive in a body of people when we're all centered on him and when we're all willing to own the things that are in the shadow. I'm not saying call up every bad thing in your life, but I would say at any given time, God's saying, hey, we got to work on this. That's all I'm saying. And when you're in a community of people, whether you are in a men's Bible study or whether you are in a, a ladies' group or you're in a Sunday school class, we've tried to be very intentional about making that a safe space, making that a space where you feel like, um, like I shared last week, where you feel like um, you can find comfort. And it's a space that you can find somebody to lift you up when you fail. That should be the church. That's a church that has a heart filled with the courage of the Lord to do the right thing for the people that are involved based on the convictions that God brought his son into the world to make everything right, including you and I with the Father. And that really is the place to begin. And my hope is every Sunday, and my prayer is every Sunday, if there's anybody that you have given me the privilege of having your attention for 30 or 40 minutes to tell you about this stuff, if there's anybody who is here in this space that is hearing God speak to them through the words that I offer, the, the music that we sang, or just someone around you, and God is saying, I want you to become my child. I want you to surrender your life to me so that I can begin to just pour into that all the stuff that's going to fill the void of all the stuff you have that's just been getting in the way and tripping you up. And so, very bluntly, if there's anyone in the room that wants to know him, that God is calling you to be a part of his, his life together, we want to help you. Come and see me after the service or come up during the song we're here for you. It's a safe place because there's nothing that brings us greater joy than to see somebody have the works of the devil undone in their life so that the works of God can remake us. That is awesome. Only God. Well, let's pray and then um, we'll meet him at his table. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your presence with us today. I pray, Father, that I haven't wasted anybody's time here, that the words that I've said have been from you, that they have had their own effect in the way that you've desired. And Lord, I know that every person in this room has their story. They have that thing that they, they're struggling with or they're working with or that thing that they want to see happen that will just make their life what they desire. 
And Lord, you have all of those things in mind when you see us. And everything that gets us to that place is sourced in your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that there wouldn't be a heart that would leave here, that would leave here without you. I just ask for our people to just be aware of how we can come alongside anybody that you put in our path, that we can speak a word from you to. We can come alongside and help, and we can, as they go through it, encourage, and as we see you work, celebrate. Give us that heart to be that community of people as we lift ourselves, our souls, and our lives together before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, prepare our hearts for communion today, uh, I encourage you to meditate on Psalm 31. Verses 14 and 15 summarizes it by saying this, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. You see, these words describe how Jesus lived and as he died. With such deep trust in God, Jesus knew that his life was not over, and he spoke the words of of a psalm that faces the reality of pain and suffering and death with faith and hope and courage. In doing so, he gave us a model for living that declares it's not over. It's not over when God is in it with us. Therefore, the psalm ends with this advice for us all. Love the Lord. All of you, his saints, the Lord preserves the faithful. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. As we take communion today, may this be our prayer. Into your hand I commit my spirit. My times are in your hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you just help us to prepare our hearts for taking of communion. Help us to meditate on these words. Help us to commit ourselves to you and just trust you fully in no matter what we're going through. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for what you've done for us through your sacrifice, through the death on the cross, and ultimately being raised again and giving us that example in our life. And it's in your son's name we pray. stand we'll close well if I make 50 I sure hope I look like Jason because I wouldn't I don't know if I'd peg you for a 50 year old not that that's old but
Nice to be with you all today. Don't forget the, the ladies' tea today downstairs. 
Um, a lot of other things going on, so stay on social media and look for pamphlets with dates and everything. See y'all later.